and what do you think i'm al and i'm c and uh on this episode we're actually joined by a very good friend of ours uh say hello to d say hi d hey everyone Hey, D. Now, you've been an awful unique critic about some of our episodes and some of the opinions that we and our guests have had. Um, D, I've got to ask you, since you've been, and you are, of course, a friend of, of Al's and a friend of mine as well, of course. And a loyal listener. And a loyal listener, the the one of five, which has been great. Um, but D, I have to ask, what has been the opinion that you have most vehemently disagreed with and that you have had issue with whether it's from one of the, one of us or either one of the guests on this up on this show i did not know he was about to ask this question by the way d i so. did not but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna stir the pot and rock rock the boat a little bit i'm gonna burn some bridges yeah i was uh <laughs> i was gonna say that um one of the guests you had for a barbarian. I, just I knew. <laughs> See, I was so here. Fun fact, folks. I knew that he had an issue with this, and I wanted to start some start some drama with this. Start some. Start some. Let the uh, let the fans start to wonder. Are they not friends, guys? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, but dick. go on. Go you on. Dick. Listen, listen. I just I want awkward moments at our next barbecue. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Yeah, I just I just thought that uh one of the guests were uh, a little overcritical over a movie and just, over uh, barbarian. Yeah, over barbarian and just uh mm-hmm. kind of like a, almost had like a, if you're not first your last mentality about it. And- <laughs> I don't think those were the words you used, but okay. You used uh, a different F word, I believe, but you know, that's, that's fine. Okay, see, okay. You've had, uh, your, you've had your fucking fun. <laughs> um, All right. Okay, okay. Uh, so, um, unlike our pre... Like, actually, D is our first guest who I would say isn't actually involved as intimately with film and television as the rest of our guests have been that is true yes so so d would it be safe to say that you're really going to come into this as a more not as like a a film critic but more like as a as as a fan of because i I would say you're you're a fan of the mcu franchise are you not yeah i was going to say that uh yeah i'm definitely don't have a background in any kind of uh Film education or industry or kind of more yeah. of like an everyday man. Just uh, I enjoy you know Marvel comics and MCU and, and movies in general, but not yeah. any kind of like professional or really artistic play. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you're you uh, you enjoy movies, you like them, and you have ones you like. You have ones that you favor over others, but you and I mean I genuinely. <clears throat> don't mean any offense when i say this d but to a certain extent you haven't literally studied it correct yeah pretty much sure and there's still there's an important opinion because often those who who study within the world of film they do lose i feel we've lost sight of certain things that others still see like we, I, once we draw, we've drawn back the curtain. We see how the sausage is made, so to speak. So, our view can be warped in certain ways. I, I think the best way to put it is that we we only see the trees, not the forest anymore. Yep. And that that is that is a common like 
you see that a lot. I'm guilty of it. See, you're guilty of it. Oh, I'm very, I'm very guilty of it. <laughs> like, like, especially when it comes to something that like a theory that we've studied or, 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 you know, a, a film technique or, that or we like practiced. When, when we see that a director, a new director is just emulating an old director. Oh yeah. We're all guilty of that. We're like, that was so this. Yeah. And I would say that's one of the things I enjoy about your podcast is uh, you, you put in these extra tidbits information. I don't know, like, oh, this person did this, worked on that. And I just, I don't know all the like director names and what they passed work and who they're influenced by. And part of that is the reason why I listen to you guys. Oh, well, thank you, oh, Dave. Thank you so much, Dave. Um, well, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the Latin. I know, I think it was. Um, Thor, Thor, Love and Thunder. Where I was like, oh, I think this is the last MCU movie of the year, and I was totally wrong. Nope. This one is the last one, and arguably maybe even the biggest. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there have been a lot of chatter about this movie, about this film. Not just oh, they, when it. They've not, been talking about this for a while. Yeah, not just like it was like almost immediately announced after like the second weekend of the first Black Panther's release back in 2018. Um, it was it was a sure thing because it was the highest grossing domestic movie in America that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then renew it got even like it got even more. How would you say chatter press. about it? Yeah, press. That's a better way to put it. It got a lot more press after the untimely passing of of the the star of the series, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who plays T'Challa, the Black Panther. Uh, he died back in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, because the big question was like, well, is Marvel and Disney still going to make at the time, it was just black Panther two. Are they going to make black Panther two? Um, are they, are they going to recast the role of T'Challa? Um, there were so many questions, so many questions like, and, and, you know, with good reason, because like to put it bluntly, black Panther immediately became a fan favorite. Like, during his first appearance in uh, Captain America Civil War. And when his own movie came out, it was probably the most critically acclaimed Marvel project since uh, the first Avengers. Yeah, mm-hmm. since the first Avengers. Like, Well, or, or, I mean, and I know I'm biased when I say this, but like uh, that or Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, and I yeah. know we have different views on that, but you oh, can yeah, acknowledge yeah. that. No, no, People no, yeah, totally acknowledge. For that. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally acknowledging that. Yeah. Um, and you know, just, just being like, well, what's going to happen with this project? I think almost immediately Marvel and Disney were like, no, 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 we're still going to make this project. Uh, but then it took some time before they also let us, let us, the fans know that like, also, you know, for respective Chadwick Boseman, uh, we're not going to recast the character T'Challa, which was mm-hmm. a mildly controversial decision. And I said mildly yeah. controversial because, the people who were against it understood why Marvel went that route, but they were still, you know, understand they were still against it. Yeah. And the people who were for it, you know, were like, well, this is the right decision to make. So, mm-hmm. so there wasn't like any controversy. People were, well, you know, just disappointed also, that in, we wouldn't get a T'Challa. Also in the world of Marvel, like the comics, doesn't T'Challa die at one point? I, or doesn't Black Panther die? Uh, I off the top of my head, I can't recall. D, do you have any idea if he ever died? So I don't know the specifics, but I do know there has been times where uh, T'Challa wasn't Black Panther; he was missing or gone or whatever. 
and other people did come in to, to be Black Panther for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, in fact, I do know that one of Shuri's earlier appearances as a character in the Marvel Universe, she takes on the mantle of Black Panther. Okay. Which coincidentally is what uh, is what um, Disney and Marvel Studios decided to do. They didn't make a big announcement or anything saying that Shuri is going to be the new Black Panther. But, you know, they pretty much said, oh, Letitia Wright's going to be leading this cast. Um, Everyone figured it out. Yeah, yeah. They basically gave hints and hints and tidbits here and there that led people to be like, okay, so it's probably going to be Shuri. Um, mm-hmm. But no one knew what the plot was going to be. Everyone was like, are they going to do the original plot that they had planned when Chadwick Boseman was still alive? Uh, are, are they going to go a totally different direction? Um, I think it was obvious that the movie was going to have a different direction. They just didn't know how drastically from the original plan. Because, mm. you know, believe it or not, guys, Marvel has the narrative for the Marvel Universe set up like 10 years in advance. <laughs> oh, yeah. They know what they want to do. And they only make changes as it, as it, in the moment very much. Yeah. The only changes that will happen is like, well, this, char- this character will be doing this thing but still kind of heading in the same path. Chadwick Boseman dying was one of the biggest shifts because they realized they had to make an adjustment. Yeah. uh, They pushed back uh, filming, the filming date for Black Panther Wakanda Forever after Chadwick Boseman passing. And uh, they changed the release dates, but that was also due more to COVID reasons because COVID happened like three weeks after Chadwick Boseman died. Because he died in February, I want to say. Yeah. No, no. His last his last appearance was in the NBA All Star Weekend, uh, that was in February. So he he died right around when COVID really got bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's kind of the build up or kind of the explanation of how we got here. Yeah. Uh, and usually for for our podcast, I like to ask a question to either C or our guest. Obviously, D, you are our guest. So. Uh, I was I've I've been debating like what question to ask you, and I think I think the best one I can ask is after like before the first trailer, what were your expectations for Wakanda Forever? Before the first trailer, so that means before they announced that the villain or or that it was going to be about Wakanda versus what we called Atlantis at the time, but is now called Talokan. So what, what were your expectations? What were you expecting? What were you hoping that it was going to go to before you saw the first trailer back in like four months ago, four or five months ago? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was really interested in seeing how they were going to handle Chadwick's passing and just what they were going to do with Black Panther Mantle and just how they were going to write that into the overall MCU story and So yeah, I guess what I guess what we're wondering though is, so if you were you, you say you were interested in that world, but what um did you have a preference for what they were gonna do? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I knew that they weren't going to uh, recast them, and so I've. I was interested into what direction they were going to go with the, the Black Panther character. If okay. were they going to replace them with uh, someone else? And we found out later that they that they have, and just who was going to take that take that mantle and how it was going to affect 
the other characters and they they really uh went there with the, the story and how his passing affected them and uh what um when you saw the trailer what were your just initial thoughts on it when the when the first trailer dropped Uh, I think it's, uh, it's oh, been a while since I've seen it been this. It had been a while, but. <laughs> I'm trying to go back and think about well, what's. Well, if, if that, what I can say is, I guess, so with everything that happened from when Black Panther came out to Chadwick Boseman's passing to the movie coming out, is there anything that really resonates, that, that hit you in a way or not even hit you but anything that was you were thinking while all that was happening anything you uh, want to express oh yeah i guess i will say that uh in the trailer they revealed that uh namor was going to be a, a part of it to be the antagonist and i was excited to see how they were going to write uh namor into the mcu uh, he's uh, a mutant uh, in the comics and mutants aren't really a thing in the MCU, but they're slowly being introduced. That is actually a very good point. Now that uh, certain mergers and acquisitions have happened, <laughs> um, we now, and that's actually a very good point, that now they are finally, like hell, they're able to use the word mutant in, uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because, for example, with Scarlet Witch and uh, her brother Quicksilver, they could not use the word mutant. What word did they use? Do I? Do any of you remember? The, uh, they used enhanced. 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 Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so this is actually interesting. I before the first trailer got released. Um, well, actually, okay. So I, in my free time, I spend way too much time on internet forums, more than I should, honestly. Mm-hmm. So early, early on, I heard rumors that. Uh, Tenok Huerta had been cast in the movie and that he was going to play Namor. So I, I, I heard about that. I read about that. And before before I read stuff about that, I I was pretty bullish. I, I think even C&D, I, I told both of you, I was pretty bullish that that uh, Wakanda Forever was not going to have any bigger ramifications on the MCU because it was going to be a wholly kind of introspected look on the passing of, of T'Challa. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's where I was very convinced they were going to go. And uh, when I heard the rumors that like, well, actually, no, uh, Namor's going to be in it. Ryan Coogler has won, like from the beginning, wanted Namor to be the villain. Mm-hmm. I was I was a little disappointed because I I was like, I'm a little worried that uh, I'm a little worried that we're going to have an Iron Man 2 problem where they're doing too much plot threads to try to build up. Uh, the world and I mm-hmm. I mean I have my own opinions that I think the world the world building has become a bit cumbersome but I was a little I was a little sad or not sad I was a little disappointed um, I was intrigued though because like yeah the rumors did say that like it's not Atlantis it's an it's a Mesoamerican thing called Talocan um, it's it, they're changing his origin story they're 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 making it a very Mesoamerican inspired aesthetic and I thought to myself oh, well that's gonna be interesting I want to see how they can pull that off, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when the first trailer came out, and I was like, "Well, they definitely leaned in on the Aztec Mayan look." Um, I 
did have a few, <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. I, I, I remember someone like reading some, I, it was either Reddit or Facebook where someone was explaining how that the aesthetic for Wakanda was a very intentional meshing of various different type types of, of African tribal cultures because they didn't want Wakanda to be one specific, like to take from one specific uh, tribe. They wanted to take bits and pieces from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone commented like, that's all well and good. It just makes, it will just make the mythology that Wakanda follows a bit confusing because you're trying to fit like a square into a triangle hole. And when I saw that, uh, so Namor in the trailer, and you'll see it in the trailer, he's wearing a feathered serpent uh, headdress, right? Kuukul mm -hmm. uh, Khan is what that god's called. Uh, there's an Aztec equivalent of that god, also a feathered serpent. He's the god of the air. And, you know, he's the god of the air because he doesn't like the ocean. <laughs> so I see the trailer and I'm like, Okay, so they call they named him after the god of the air. Why is he ruling an underwater city? <laughs> hmm. You know, and and I I had some questions about that. But but uh, kind of going back to my original point, I was really excited. Well, this is a horrible way to say it. Let me rephrase that. I was I was you know intrigued that my gut feeling ended up being correct that. Wakanda Forever was going to devote a significant amount of its runtime to, you know, grief. And in this case, the passing of T'Challa, which mirrors the passing of Chadwick Boseman. I was intrigued by that. And I was like, oh, Ryan Coogler knows how to handle human drama. He, oh. that, it's, it's his forte. We've known that since Fruitvale Station. My exactly. God. And I was like, I think this is I, I think this has the potential to be even better than the first Black Panther. Um, so I was quite excited. Now, uh, how about before we get started with our review? Yes. We watch the trailer for uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever and then give our thoughts on the movie. Here we go.
That's actually the second trailer that was released. The first was kind of a teaser, but yes, that was the main one used for a while. All right. So, D, you know how this goes. You are our guest. So you give your first initial thoughts on the film. And then, uh, C, you give your thoughts. And then I'll give my thoughts. And we, we have a discussion about it. So, D, what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, so I would say uh, overall, I liked the film. It was a pretty long film. I felt like it could have been uh, shortened a little bit. They had like some slow parts in the it, middle of it, and it just just, uh, just to stop you right there. This film is two hours and forty one minutes long. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt they could have they could have shaved off some of the minutes throughout and just kind of condensed some of it. Uh, but overall, I liked the film. I wasn't really bored any part. I, I enjoyed it throughout. Uh, I've seen some people online kind of. Uh, complain about the third act and i felt the third act was was fine i felt it was stronger than the first black panther's third act mm-hmm. mm. I, I kind of enjoyed the the conclusion and kind of the final battle it felt very uh comic book like uh, some of the mc movies kind of lose that comic book feel to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um okay so i I think Dakota really touched on some interesting points there, most notably the length of the movie. Uh, and Al, as you, wow, I meant to say D, D. You, you've done it. That. You've done it three times now, but I've recorded all of oh, it. So great, okay, <laughs> great. Um, so, uh, point being is the length. Now, Al, you said how long was it? Two hours and forty-one minutes. Damn. Damn, that's that's a long movie. That's a director's cut right there. And that is I think that's the main thing is this did feel like a director's cut of a movie. Um, now, that being said, I legitimately think this was a better movie than the first Black Panther, with the exception that the villain in the first movie is a better is a better villain. I think Michael B. Jordan plays a better villain by a significant amount over uh over this villain that doesn't even mean that that's not even to say that this villain is bad in any way it's Let me just ask you this yeah is uh namor better or worse than claw from the first movie you mean killmonger no claw oh claw okay andy circus no i know i know i mean they're so different that's my thing they're so different because Claw is just a dude trying to, you know, make a profit, so to speak. He's always been, he had been the side villain in a few movies, basically. That was his deal. Um, now, Andy Serkis played him in a really great way. I really enjoyed his performance. But I just think they're so different and, like, the type of villain, too. Like, one was nasty and he knew it. And the other was, had you can understand the intentions of the of of Namor, at least in this movie. So I think it's so different and so hard to judge. But interestingly, I think what made Killmonger from the first movie so good 
is like Namor, you understood where he's coming from, but he was as nasty as Killmonger. He was as brutal and ruthless as Killmonger. Or as Claw. Wow. As Claw. Um, but that all being said, I genuinely think this was more of a Ryan Coogler film over the first one. The first movie had a major issue where it had interesting moments and it was certainly very good, but it felt like a very cookie-cutter Marvel movie. And what I mean by that, and I think a lot of people know this, you know, as Al had mentioned earlier, Marvel really plans stuff out. So when they bring a director, like up to half of the movie has already been determined. Like, and not just like script, obviously, but in many cases, even shot design. So the director is a little limited in in what they're allowed to do. But I strongly feel, and there's exceptions to this, of course. Ironically, the times there are exceptions, usually it's a better movie. But Wakanda Forever, you can really tell Ryan Coogler got to make his movie. He really, and I'm, and overall, I'm really happy he was he had that opportunity and chance to make his Black Panther, like his version of it, his vision of it, and because of that, the moments that work in Wakanda Forever really work. As a meditation on grief, this movie really works. As the action sequences in this movie, I think for the most part, uh, and where I do differ on but as I do think the final battle, though still good, had some had some issues in the na- in its navigation and its um its planning. But overall, the action sequences in Wakanda Forever, I think were significantly superior to the first Black Panther movie. The best action sequence, honestly, is the scene where it's they're going to America to find this girl, and the 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 people of the water, I'll just call them, like try to stop them, and there's this epic fight on this bridge. And that whole sequence, I genuinely think, is the best fight sequence because it's up close and personal and also very... There's a lot of interesting moments the characters are interacting. Like, they're actually engaging with the villains in kind of an interesting way. So I think that's the best sequence. But to summarize this, I genuinely think that Ryan Coogler got to make his, his own version of the movie, and you see... His flavor, not his flavor, but his style significantly. Like he's, he really captures emotion well. And he, and not just, the thing about Ryan Coogler, he doesn't just capture emotion in the actors. He actually captures emotion in the action. A good example of this is when he did Creed. And there's that entire sequence where he redoes the Rocky workout jog sequence, but uses like this sequence where all these motorcyclists are sort of riding alongside. And it's really interesting and it captures the energy and emotion very well. Like you get that a lot more in this movie. And I really appreciated that. That being said, this movie is long, and you do have moments where the MCU was like, guys, we have to have this, no, we have to have that. And I think basically what might have happened is Ryan had this moment where he didn't want to give up any of his things, but in order to do that, he had to include things that the MCU required of him, like required this movie to have. So that then stretches out the runtime, and... D, I'm sorry, in my opinion, this makes the third act a little bit bloated and a little bit not difficult to watch, but definitely it gets weaker, um, in my opinion. Yeah, so my thoughts. Um, 
Uh, off the bat, I, I, I think this movie is a bit bloated. Um, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, I think, you know, uh, so we've had our, our most frequent guest has been Jay and during a discussion, me, Jay and uh, C had, Jay had asked, C was writing, is writing a, a short film script and Jay asked, See, uh, so see, why are you writing this? Why are you telling this story, right? Because you need to know the why in order to be able to tell the story, which is really, really good advice for any prospective writer out there. Really good advice. It is. We will never know what the original why was for the Wakanda Forever that had T'Challa in it because Chadwick Boseman would still be with us. We will never know um, because... That, you know, I think Ryan Coogler, that's not anything he'll be willing to divulge into. And, you know, that's his nor choice. Does he nor does he have to. Yeah, nor does he have to. Off the bat, I can tell you what was the why for him writing this version of Wakanda Forever. Like C said, it is a meditation. The highest peaks of this movie is a meditation on the nature of grief and the nature of moving on from said grief. Like the opening scene, I'm sorry, Al, but the opening scene is the best example of that, but I'm sorry. Yeah. The, 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 the thing that I can see that Ryan Coogler had the most care in, whether consciously or not, although I'm, I suspect it was very consciously, is anything that involves the meditation on grief and the characters, in particular Shuri, who's our point of view character and arguably the lead, on them accepting the untimely passing of King T'Challa and coming to terms with it and how everyone else is coming to terms at their own pace. But Shuri seems to be kind of not wanting to move on because she can't bear the idea of accepting a life without T'Challa. That stuff is compelling as hell. It, so if you've been listening to our reviews, we've, we, we've reviewed, I think, every MCU movie. That so came far out this, this year, year. Yep. yeah. So far this year, our biggest critique, see, and I think you would agree, is that we really don't know the. We really don't see what the, outside of just you know continuing on the narrative, we really don't see what these films are trying to be about, right? Uh, re re remember, remember when we talked about um, uh, uh, multiverse of madness, mm -hmm. how we were saying like. Everyone has an arc except Doctor uh, Strange. Except Doctor Strange. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or as I said, this is a great uh, uh, Scarlet Witch movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we don't have that problem here insofar as Shuri has probably the most emotionally fulfilling arc that I've seen in a Marvel movie in a long time. In a long time. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that at least this th this arc, this emotional through line, blows everything else that's been in phase four out of the water. Mm -hmm. Just everything. Everything. I love that. I love when the movie's about Shuri and her grief, this film blows the first Black Panther out of the water. Like straight up. It, it does. It does. Unfortunately, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
this movie has to have other things in it. And I think because, you know, it's a Marvel movie and, you know, people want to see like imagine the balls if Disney, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios were like, we're just releasing a Black Panther movie that's about the, the cast dealing with the grief of losing their king. And that's all the movie's about. You you don't get any fight scenes. God, you don't, you, you don't that get would be... you don't get a crazy third act. A twenty four presents. Yeah, you're gonna get an A twenty four presents like like the most indie Marvel movie you could expect. Like like mm. like 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 more drama than Eternals, and Eternals had more drama than it had action. Scenes. God, Eternals is A twenty four presents, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah I, so. I know you're probably thinking like, what the hell is A twenty four? That's basically like where all the artsy movies well, come from. Well, well, no. D, how familiar are you with A twenty four? Do you know what they are? Yeah, I know A twenty four movies. I I enjoy uh quite a few of them, from like Predatory to. Uh... I feel so bad that I assumed you had no idea what that was. Well, listen, look, I, I am such I'm, a jackass. No, you're no Al. You're not. You're a jackhole. It's different. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but 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 D, you know, do you know? And again, just genuinely asking. Do you know uh, you know the stereotype of A twenty four? Are you kind of familiar with that? Yeah, just that they're kind of like um, very like people would get excited about A twenty four because they're very like kind of I guess like high end on the film ends, like very uh, artsy yeah. and yeah, just not yeah, your but... typical cookie cutter Hollywood type movie. Yes, and with with that, you either get like a, a masterpiece like The Green Knight, or you get um, Under the Silver Lake. You know, you get all kinds of shit out of that. But you have friends that are really like that movie. See, so. stop! Oh my oh. god, I know who you're talking about. Okay, so sorry, um... sorry, friend, <laughs> who may or may not have been on this podcast. Um, sorry, friend. So, um, you know, um. Right off the bat, I, I really do think Ryan Coogler does an admirable job in bringing in this new element, this new faction to the MCU. In this case, uh, these underwater civilization, which in the comics is known as Atlantis. But uh, James Wan beat him to the punch, so they had to figure out something new. And in this case, they decided to kind of retrofit everything involving Namor into this Mesoamerican culture called Talokan, the civilization called Talokan that's underwater. And to Ryan Coogler's credit, I think he does an admirable job, even though this whole element is secondary to the thing he's really passionate about, which is telling this story about grief. Mm -hmm. um, he, like, off the bat, I think uh, Tanok Huerta, who plays Namor, is very, very good in the role. He captures that essential asshole-nish that is what makes Namor iconic. Um, he captures he captures that royal air of stuffiness that I think is necessary, but he does it in an interesting way. Whereas the comic book Namor, and I think D, you would agree, you've you've read his comics, is that he's very like in your face, like I am better than you. Like no, listen, if how do I put this? I'm not saying even Tony Stark Namor, thinks he's a jackass. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying Namor would be okay. I'll put it this way: Namor's definitely been on the Joe Rogan podcast a lot. Is all I'll say. <laughs> and just, and just, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. 
it, like in in the he's he's the guest on the Joe Rogan podcast that he's friends with Joe, but like no one actually wants to really like watch that episode because they know it's gonna be that guest just talking about himself for two hours. You know what I'm talking about? He's like that. He's he's an he's just a jackass, and he happens to be fit and run a city that's extremely technologically advanced. So he has no reason to not think that, but he's still an asshole. And that's not <laughs> and, and you're and you're right, Al. This interpretation of of Namor is not that, but he's still an asshole. This interpretation of Namor is this very quietly confident, like whereas comic book Namor is verbosely confident about how awesome he is to the point that people like Tony Stark are like, take a look at this jackass. <laughs> in, yeah. in 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 this iteration, in this version, Tino Cuarta plays him as quietly confident, like he's very sure of himself. He's very sure, like his body language screams that he's very sure of himself, and and you know it's very interesting because I. If we tried to do a straight interpretation, not like a straight interpretation of Namor's behavior in the movie, mm-hmm. everybody would be like, I hate it when this guy's on screen. I can't stand him. Mm-hmm. And this one, you're kind of like, oh, well, he's a, he's a king. He's a king mm-hmm. and he wants to protect his people. And well, you know what it is? He literally is acting like a god. That's the thing. He's, he's kind of, yeah. he has a, he, uh, I know it's, it was meant more as Mayan influence, but there are moments where he kind of acts like a, um, a Roman or Greek God a little bit in the he, way he like yeah, presents yeah, himself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think, I think Ryan Cooler did a really good job, good job kind of developing that world. Um, I, okay. He did a good job. I think he could have done a better job. Um, in the critiques I'll get into later. Uh, I, I think, I don't think it was a half baked idea. I think it was a three quarters baked idea. It needed a little bit more developing and I'll get into details later. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this stuff with Martin Freeman, who who's his character? He's the CIA agent, but I keep forgetting the CIA agent's name. Agent Ever- Freeman. Ross. Oh, Agent <laughs> Ross. Right. <laughs> Thank you, D. Thank agent. You. Everything involving Agent Ross and his spoiler alert, guys. Apparently, he was Valentina LeFontaine's ex-husband. Valentina LeFontaine, played by. Julia Louis Dreyfus, right? Mm-hmm. She's kind of she's kind of the new phase for uh, uh, Nick Fury, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. and this was this was her first uh, MCU movie appearance, but she previously showed up in the the show uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney Plus. Yeah. She's she was also in the Stinger of Black Widow, if I'm not mistaken, which was going to be her original first appearance. Um, oh, but I in, didn't know that. Yeah, but anyway, so. Like they have a whole subplot in the movie that it, it's not a big subplot, but it's enough that it takes a chunk out of the movie. That's a chunk in the movie. And honestly, it and you is, can tell Ryan Coogler could not have given a shit about yeah, it. I, I, it, it is such a super superfluous subplot that the only reason it's there to set up the foundation for Thunderbolts. Cause Valentino LeFontaine is going to, uh, is going to recruit the Thunderbolts. And I'm like, why is this here? And uh, then we have this entire element introducing Riri Williams to the MCU. For those that don't know, Riri Williams plays Ironheart in the comics. She's a pretty new character in the comic books. I think she she appeared when? 20, 2017? I, I think. I do not know. Yeah. So she ha- she's, she's going to have a Disney Plus show next year. Oh, and you. apparently uh, Kevin Feige and the heads at Disney were like, we need to introduce her in Wakanda forever because we know that's going to get the most eyeballs 
And we're going to need eyeballs on that Disney Plus show because a lot of Disney Plus shows are not getting enough eyeballs. This is very true. Synergy, folks. With the exception of Moon Knight. With the exception of Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, Which got a lot of eyeballs for a a minute. By the way, I just have to say, uh, Andor's not getting nearly enough eyeballs. It is literally the best thing on Disney Plus. So everyone who hasn't watched it needs to watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But But that's not Marvel related, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Not Marvel related. Yeah. So, again, superfluous, not necessary, adds too much to the runtime. The one good thing I'll say about Ruby Williams is that the actress who plays her, um, what's her name? Uh, Dominique Thorne. Dominique Thorne is very charismatic in the role and plays her in a very grounded fashion. Ironic because she's she's literally building a uh, Iron Man suit from scratch, Uh, but plays her in a really grounded. Like, she she wasn't annoying. She wasn't... uh, the Jar Jar Binks of Wakanda forever. Far oh from God, it. can you imagine that? Yeah, she was she was she was quite good in the role. It's just the role was unnecessary. Um. So yeah, bloated is kind of my main big big problem, and we'll go into more detail later now. As I say, so the first big thing, the the main thrust, the grief element. Uh, C, you've kind of given your thoughts. Yes. D, I kind of want to hear from you. The whole thing about mourning T'Challa and Shuri not wanting to move on, not wanting to make peace with it and take up. Oh, and there's also the element of finding a new Black Panther, right? Which kind of ties in with the grief element. What were yes. your thoughts of that direction of the film? Yeah, so I, I liked how the passing of King T'Challa was clearly meant to mirror the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And any kind of uh, grief and sadness and kind of honorifics were meant to be for both T'Challa and Chadwick. And just kind of dealing with that was also meant to be for both the character and the actor. How about you, C? So, I think... So, I have to say the... I like when movies kind of slap you in the face a little bit in the opening. They don't have to to be a good movie. You can get plenty of movies that are great that start slow, of course. But this movie slaps you in the face and wakes you up when it's literally, okay, I'm going to say it. It's basically, you know, it's they're trying to save T'Challa's life. And it's this very, very scary, almost hospital-like moment. Um that's really it's one of those things where you know what's happening but you still feel very intense it still feels very intense and i think they did this because at the end of the day one thing that people don't understand with chadwick boseman is unless you were really in the industry you didn't know that he was so sick as he was um hell i didn't i i didn't know at all and i'm not in the industry as much as i'd like to be but I do keep up with like certain things. Like I, I knew when I knew if certain actors weren't, you know, were not were sick or certain things. And I really didn't know about Chadwick Boseman at all. I just knew that he was going. It was it was just labeled as personal issues that he was going through. But I think that scene really addressed the shock people felt when it was not that he's sick, that he has in fact died. And I think that was the best way to handle that. It was, you're in the moment, you're doing this. It's like, and this is happening right now. Because, and, 
So I think that in that way, that's just this perfect way to summarize how the movie handled it. And on a side note, I just have to marvel how, because someone figured out around when Chadwick Boseman got sick and pretty much he, because he had been going through a lot, like he had moments where he was doing better, doing worse. It was a very long, and not to get too much into his per, what personally was happening to him, but what he went through was was incredibly, it was a lot, and it was for a long amount of time. People are saying like, oh, well, it's so impressive that he was going through this while filming Black Panther, which is true. Guys, he first got diagnosed since Gods of Egypt, which he co-starred, which he was in. He played uh, the god Thought in that, the, the, the god of all thinking, basically. So think about that. Think of the movies he's been in from that point forward, and not just movies, but like big budget movies, too. And I just had to, t- I have to take a minute to say that that is damn impressive without a doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I think in terms of how this movie presents the grief element, I got to say in, in terms of the original cast, barring uh, Agent Ross, because this is actually like, it's pretty obvious. He shot all his scenes by himself or with Julius yeah. Dreyfus. There was no one else with him. So, but every everyone in the original ensemble who is Wakandan, who played a Wakandan in the first movie, they all get a moment to have a scene to themselves. You know, talking about T'Challa, what T'Challa meant to them. It's very like, like when I saw the last trailer or when I saw the first trailer, I was like, okay, so T'Challa has died. And, you know, there's a little element of me is like, okay, how this is because this is Disney, right? Mm. How how is how is Disney going to straddle line between doing a genuine, authentic tribute to Chadwick Boseman and not be like like inauthentic, kind of taking advantage of the situation Kind of, kind of do a tribute in bad taste because that's very easy to happen, especially in a corporate mm. product like, uh, like Disney does. Yeah, I, w- I was a little worried. Which I- thanks, thank God it, for the record, thank God it wasn't that. Oh sorry. yeah, it was not that at all. Um, and everyone, everyone from the first movie has a moment to kind of process it to explain their grief, and everyone brings their A game. I mean, I would say, I would say there's not a a bad performance there. In fact, I would say the two all-stars in the movie are uh, Angela Bassett, who is an icon and is one of the great actresses of her generation. Yep. You know, she plays Queen Regent Ramonda. And uh, Letitia Wright, who is the point of, like I said, the point of view character in the lead. Like, honestly, D, C, like, what were your thoughts on Letitia Wright's performance? Because, again, this was an actress who signed on to be I don't want to say the kid sidekick, but basically, basically a mixture of the kid sidekick with the with the tech guy, the the Q of the movie, right? To borrow from James Bond, and then you're basically being told, "Oh, now you're the lead, you're the Black Panther," right? Like she didn't sign up for that, and you know when you're when you're casting for an actor, you you want to cast somebody who's like, okay, can they carry a movie, right? That's that's the most important thing when you're casting a lead, especially in these superhero movies, is can you carry a movie, right? She was not brought into this franchise 
being asked to carry a movie, but now suddenly she is. Uh, do you guys do you guys think she did a good job carrying this movie? D, you can go first. Okay, yeah. Uh, before I go on to Letitia, I would like to add that I agree that the, everyone kind of brought their A game. All the performances are done really well. And that Angela Bassett really did a good job uh, when she gave her speech on uh, what she had given up or lost was a uh, very powerful and it's kind of realized like oh in that moment she lost her husband and uh, the Captain America movie and then she lost her son and then she lost presumably her daughter and it's like she has every right to feel the way that she does in that moment yeah it's it's no, I think, a really good moment I think it is it's that is a one of many amazing moments yeah but on, uh, for Letitia Wright, I think she uh, she did good in this role. You know, she uh, you know she took on the the mantle of Black Panther, and you know I felt like they did uh, pretty good with um, the third act where she was uh, Black Panther and she donned the suit, and you know you kind of have these moments of you see like a hundred pound woman fighting like a two hundred pound man, and just kind of like. Mm. <laughs> but when you have you know superhuman abilities you know you can kind of not worry about that and understand that you know when she throws a punch it's actually you know very powerful and they did a good job of kind of conveying uh how powerful both her and Neymar are and, and their their final fight that's that's very true and I think that's a good example of, even though I we've we Al and I feel a little differently about the final fight. I think you do make a good point there and how, you know, it was the only way it could have happened in the direction they were going. You know, uh, something I, I will say, like, again, what I'm really impressed by with Letitia Wright is that not only like she, she's actually been like a lead. I think this is, this is her second leading role because she, she's a lead on like a small indie movie about twin sisters where she plays both roles. Yeah. And, I, I really haven't heard anything about that movie. She was also nominated for an Emmy a while back with an episode of Black Bear she did. Was she the lead in that episode? In the Okay, I but think, this is but, like Okay, yeah. I this is like saying. this is like her first this is like her her first like leading role in a Hollywood production, right? This is true, yeah. Yeah. And you know, this like I, I gotta say, I mean, I was impressed enough that I'm like you are going to have like I know there's a there's a there's people talk about like there's a curse with Marvel leads and how like they can only lead a Marvel movie like like with Chris Hemsworth he can only lead a Marvel movie everything else bombs I'm legitimately confident that Letitia Wright can can be a leading lady who's like headlines her own films and I think this this movie is proof of that well, interestingly I think the actresses well they're all actors to be clear but a lot of the actresses seem to have better luck in that quote-unquote curse, from what I've noticed. But still, it is pretty far-reaching as in general. Yeah, so I, I, I got to say, um, and I, I think I cut you off, C. Uh, like, what were, what were your thoughts on, on Letitia Wright uh, being, like, her, like, do you, do you, did you like how she led this movie? Were there any critiques, any observations you want to add to the conversation? Um... Nothing with no issues with her performance. I think her performance in every moment in that way was great. I do think at times the way the movie 
would handle it was a little weird in the sense that, so we're meant to witness these five stages of grief. And at times it felt like she was just going through the first stage and then finally the last stage. You know what I mean? Or, or no, it almost like you know, she, she wouldn't accept it. And then it was acceptance. Again, her performance in all of that was amazing. I just felt that it, uh, there were moments where it's like, in one way it was more realistic actually, that like it didn't follow with the exact stages of grief. But on the other hand, you're kind of like, when she does like find resolution, I felt, I felt happy and relieved for her, but there was a moment of, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm happy she fell, felt, found some sort of resolution, but I think what they also added in that final scene, I don't know if that was the best place to put that. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, I know what you're talking about. And I'm I'm pretty sure that what they added to that scene was always going to be the plan. Sure. But um, I think... I just don't think... It, I think at that point, it's like, well, emotionally, I can only be invested. Maybe it's just me. Emotionally, I can only be invested in one major aspect of what's just happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it becomes difficult to then say, well, I'm less invested in this because I've just spent two hours and 35 minutes at this point invested one way. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just... It. Yeah. I I would say it's at least not as bad as the Martha moment in Batman. <laughs> no, 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 no. No point in this movie is Martha bad. Yeah, no, I I tell I totally get what you're you're saying. Um, now the the one the one thing I will add is that um, you must take up the mantle of Martha. <laughs> no, uh, no. The, the the one thing I will add is that uh, you earlier said that this like in a lot of ways this feels like a, a first uh, a director's cut, right? Yeah, where he he has all his babies in there. Yeah, and. I do think while the the grief element is the strongest part of the movie where you get the strongest performances, especially from the cast that are all coming back, the the problem you end up having is that it, it really does feel like 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 he just didn't want to cut out any any beat from any mm-hmm. actor for the sake of pacing. Yeah, and and I can get his sorry, I can get his perspective on that, but then you have suddenly this really long movie, and you're like, well, wait, hold on a minute. Yeah, like like in like for instance, even Mabaku gets a moment to talk about how like I promised your brother I would I would give you counsel, and it's it's a moment, and I'm like, it's a good moment. Winston Duke does a great job, but I'm like, you know, did we need it? Did we need it exactly? Right. Yeah. And that 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 kept happening like. Like obviously Lupita Nyong'o is Nakia. We need we need to hear her thoughts because that was that was the love of her life. That's necessary. Ramonda, that was his mom. That's his mom. Obviously, the the leader of his royal guard. We had to have that. Yeah, we had to. But like there were other times where I'm like, okay, guys, we get it. Like you're doing a great performance. You're doing a great job. But you know it it, it does unfortunately affect pacing a bit. Um. Now that being said. The the big element of the movie outside of, you know, the 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 outside of the grief element is the introduction of of the civilization of Talokan to the MCU. Like Namor has been teased in the MCU all the way back since 2010. Like there was a little scene where where Tony Stark is looking at crazy events happening around the world and 
they have like a dot on Africa, which would end up being Wakanda, and they have a mm-hmm. dot in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. Um, so he was teased even back then in 2010. Uh, but now, uh, a full 12 years later, we finally get Namor, right? We finally get the introduction to, to the civilization of Talokan. Uh, D, I'll start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on that whole element of the movie? What, are, what were the things you loved about it? What were the things you were like not so hot about? Yes, so uh, I liked uh, the, the mind influence on, on Talokan and just the... Uh... You know, I'm kind of disappointed that they don't really have Atlantis and the classical interpretation of Atlantis you see in the comics, and they kind of changed it to this, uh, to Talokan. But I do like the Mayan influence they used on that, and this kind of that myth of taking, oh, the Mayan people disappeared, and it's like, oh, they didn't disappear, they went into the water and formed this uh, advanced underwater civilization. I do like how he tried to show the city and the people and kind of uh, humanize them to Shuri and to us. And, but I felt he could have done more. I think you kind of touched on this earlier saying that he did like a, you know, three, four faked idea on it. And I agree that I felt like he could have shown more of the people and the city. Like we really don't get a sense of how, how there's like the one great thing about the first black Panther was that we really got a sense of how, of how, Wakanda was like the day to day life of regular Wakandans along with like the, the, the elite and the, the leaders of the, of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like D, like you said, I, I, we, 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 we basically get a bird's eye view of the city. We see some citizens, but we don't really get to feel like how they live. Right. Yeah. We, we don't get a sense of, uh, how big the, the city is or how big the civilization is or how many people they are. You know, you just will, there in the, the third act, you see a bunch of them kind of show up, but you don't really get a, a sense of how big the civilization is and just kind of, uh, like, the extent of their their technology or just, like, their everyday life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also feel like the, the underwater performances were kind of weak, except for, like, maybe Namor. I felt like he felt kind of natural underwater, but everyone else kind of felt like there were people just swimming underwater actually not just people that that grew up and lived underwater so okay i I know this is a slightly off topic but i actually do want to know because so i didn't have a good screening when i saw black panther the 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 projection was too dim but and guys correct me or or affirm my belief so everyone except uh except namor are blue on the surface but are they like do they have like normal skin tone in the water because that's what i thought i was saying was that the case or are they still blue underwater i interpreted it as they were once underwater their skin tone returned to whatever it originally was but maybe so, so, so they do wrong. turn back to quote-unquote normal underwater that seemed to be the well dude is that what you saw because that's how i remember it yeah, that's what it looked like to me. It also looks like when they come out of the water, they're normal toned, and it slowly turns into a blue as they dry out, essentially. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Because because I was like, I was like, I was like, I don't think they're blue underwater. Uh, it, and then like my brother said to me, because I saw it with my brother, he said, 
oh, um, that's because uh, their their oxygen must be weird. And I'm like, is it? Is is that how that works? I mean, I'm not a I'm not a medic or a biologist, so. Well, because think about it, oxygen runs through your blood, and in so what it could have been, and I'm really stretching when I say this, but um, it could have. You know how they say your blood from the moment it's in when it's in your body, it's not re- it's not red, from what I understand, at least. Am I crazy in saying this? I've heard this somewhere. Like your blood, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, on the, the inside of your body, it doesn't look red. Yeah, it's blue. It looks like a slightly a more purplish, almost blue-like color. So it could be that that's how the body is reacting in certain some kind of way. But but um, uh, but Namor doesn't have that. So because... that definitely could be. So yeah, so, so yeah, I, I will say that uh, one of the the funny moments is this movie has, you know, some funny moments. It's not like an overall funny movie like a typical oh, MCU yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. But it does have funny moments. One of them is a cop sees one of them and it goes, is she blue? Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Actually, speaking of the humor. So one of the things I love about this movie is that, and I, I think Ryan Co- Coogler was very cognizant of this, is that we cannot have the yuck fest that we had with, with love and thunder we can't be that because this this we're trying we're dealing with a subject that is has a weighty theme to it so i'm not gonna lie and say that there are no jokes in this movie there are jokes in this movie and most of them are fine most of them are are, and i laughed at some they are none of them are like none of them like are so off-putting yeah yeah none of them are a detriment to the movie right like and most of them come from uh dominique thorne as riri because you know she's like Wakanda's want to kidnap me. What the hell? Uh, most of the humor comes from there. Um, but for the most part, this movie is a refreshing balance of like, this is a movie that's serious, but you know, we'll have some light moments here and there, which I really appreciated. Um, actually, uh, D, like, I know, I know you, I was having you talk about uh, Talokan and all that stuff. Let me ask you this specifically the character of Namor and his two lieutenants, Atuma and Namora. What were your thoughts on those characters? Because they're essentially going to be the, you know, the kind of the 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 Talokan rep rep during the big team ups. Yeah, I thought that uh, all three characters were uh, were done pretty well. You know, you, you kind of get a uh, a sense of power and you know, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah. So uh, yeah, so Namor and his lieutenants. I felt like they uh, they were interesting characters. You know, I I felt like they were definitely felt uh, very powerful. They kind of had like a, a, a air of uh, superiority around them. They, you know, you could tell they kind of looked down on the surface people. And you know, all the I'm assuming all the telecons are superhuman strength and just would uh, kind of feel superior over just. The average well, human. It actually makes sense that they're extra strong because the depths of water that they're under, their bodies would literally have to be stronger to withstand that pressure. All right. So, like, and I'm I did some research on this because I was a little confused on how that worked. So, uh, basically, they took the nautical version of a heart-shaped herb or a heart-shaped plant. You know, the guy the guy finds it underwater. Mm-hmm. So and then the original the original people who came underwater, they they took that right and it, it basically gave them, they ba- they basically all have Black Panther powers except it's water based right, and then mm-hmm. all their descendants obviously have 
have those elements. So basically that entire civilization have all the strength and all the strength and abilities as uh, as a Black Panther would, who who would have taken the heart shaped herb. So they're all at least as strong as as a Black Panther or a super soldier in the vein of of Steve Rogers. Mm, okay. So, so yeah, that that Damn. would explain how they can breathe underwater and how can they withstand pressures. But uh, D, uh, so uh, Namor, like. What were your thoughts? Any, what would you like to praise the performance about? Were there any critiques you might have? Yeah, so I, I definitely think it was a, a good performance by, um, was it Snack? Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, I like how they included the shorty shorts and explained it as uh, he needs to breathe through his skin underwater. And so they took a classic comic book design and uh, explained it in a real life situation and made it not look uh, ridiculous. And I thought that was a, uh, you know, kind of admirable for them to do. Because mm. uh, Namor's a very old character, like one of the oldest in Marvel comics. He's older than Aquaman too. Really? Like, and, yeah, he 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 beats Aquaman by like a couple months. Yeah, people people think like oh Aquaman was the original underwater hero. Like, well, that's the other thing. Namor wasn't a hero. He was a villain, a Fantastic Four villain. So yeah. there's that. Um anyways, any, Dave, what were you saying? Yeah, anyways, do you continue? And I'd like the uh the, the the Mayan aesthetic they applied to their culture and just made it underwater themed with the like the, the hammerhead looking skull on one of his lieutenants and the, the lionfish quails make the headdress. Let me ask you this. Um, so one, <laughs> one of the things we're, we're, we're going to, well, at least I'll talk about it in a little detail is the, the way they finally decide to beat Namor. I personally found it a bit silly. Like, like the, the, that's one of my big critiques of the third act is that ultimately like after Shuri takes the heart shaped herb and becomes the new Black Panther. Uh, she fights him and he's still like, here's the crazy thing. So for all our listeners who haven't seen it yet, but Namor is very OP, like super OP because he's not only, not only is he like given the abilities of, of, of vibranium from his mom, but he also is like, a mutant on top of that because the whole wing thing and flying and all that stuff that's his mutation um he even says as much right all of the air-based abilities he has are his mutation all the underwater stuff comes from his mom taking the the the, the herb that she was given but he's really op and the way they decide to beat him i'm sorry but i found it a little silly it, it's it's kind of the like like I was happy that the that the fight scene was ob obviously live action and not a CGI fest, but I was like, really, that's how you're planning on beating him, and how ultimately she convinces him to, you know, not do a war anymore. I was like, that was silly. D, what were your thoughts on how they ultimately beat him? Yeah, so uh, I was going to say that I also thought it was silly, but silly in a good way, and it kind of uh, goes back to what I was saying. It felt. A kind of comic book, like in a, comic books are, are pretty silly in their own, especially when you go into early comic books. 
and just uh, I kind of liked how they uh, Sherry took her her technical knowledge and applied it to uh, I need to uh, kind of analyze uh, Namor and you know like you said he's OP you know I can't just beat him one on one so how can I beat him and it you know she kind of analyzes him and finds a way to kind of weaken him that they can kind of fight more on terms and ultimately beat him. And I, I actually like that about it, but I do agree it was silly, but I think it was silly in the right way that, that worked and not just. Okay. So, um, I don't, I, I my, my big problem with it was that like, okay. Um, <laughs> folks, eventually what, what it amounts to is that they realize that they need to basically make him really, really dry. The drier he is, the less powerful he is. And the 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 the, the thing is that in and of itself isn't so bad. I mean, you know, it's silly, but you know, it's not like over the top silly, right? Like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, what, what was one element that was really silly? Uh, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but um. You know, the problem I have with it is that ultimately, okay, so so Namor Namor ends up on on a Wakandan airship, right? And when he when he breaks in, uh, they install like these these super hardcore like heat waves to dry him out, and Shuri's in there getting ready to fight him. And the problem is is that he has his spear, and he's like, oh, then I'm just gonna crash this plane, and he does. And they crash the plane. He's really dry and he's really weak. Uh, and you would think like, oh, okay, what's the problem, Al? Well, the problem is this. They crash land on a beach. And instead of being like, you know what? I need to run straight to the water to get wet. He's like, no, I'm going to fight uh, Black Panther. And I was like, that, wait, what? That's just like, why are you doing that? Right? And even throughout the entire fight, he finally, he beats her. And instead of going straight to the water, he just decides to monologue. And I'm like, what? But so many villains do that. I almost am okay, okay with Okay, okay, yeah. That, that's a nitpick of mine. But I, I do think they could have landed them anywhere. Don't land them on a beach where you're like, why doesn't he just go to the water? <laughs> it's – I see what you're saying. But I think what my issue with that final fight – was more that it just kind of felt like it was all over the place. And it felt like a little... It felt like they had an idea... You know what it actually felt like? It felt like that they used the final fight from the original version of the second film and were like, okay, how can we use this again but adapt it? And it felt very adapted for what they originally wanted. And so therefore, because of that, it felt like... A little out of place, if that makes sense. I, I do have to say, the one thing that this third act fight has over the other one is that it it's very obvious they shot on a physical location. Oh, yeah, because they knew that was the giant complaint about the first yeah, one. It's not a CGI fest. Literally, literally, it's Tenok Huerta. I mean, he's probably fighting a stunt double, but it's Tenok Huerta fighting someone in an actual physical Black Panther suit. And it's just leagues better than what we got in the first one. The only problem is, is that the, 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 the context, the con the contextual situation of it, I thought was like, wait, why don't you just go get water and then swim out and kick her ass? But anyway, that, that's just me. That's just me. 
Um, C, how about you? What were your thoughts on, or do, do you have any other thoughts to add, D? Like, yes. any anything else to add? Uh, yeah, so I would say that, uh, you know, I, I like the, the final fight between, you know, Black Panther, Sherry's Black Panther, and Namor. Uh, I didn't like as much the final battle between the Wakandans on the ship and the other uh, Pelicans. I felt like it was kind of uh, just pointless and that they didn't really need to, to be there. You know, you see the Wakanda version of the Ironheart suit, which that looks kind of... so bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, that that yeah, was bad. it looked like a, a Power Ranger suit, <laughs> like a fly. That yes, yeah. yes. I, I liked I liked her like handmade Ironheart suit yeah, better. That, that was cool, but this one was awful. And I didn't really care for the. I know they're from the comics. You know what they were doing? Kind of... They were getting us ready for the bad CGI of the show, just prepping <laughs> us for it. Oh my god! See, don't be mean. Listen, am I? But whoa, am I wrong? You're not. You're not wrong. But I I'm continue. Not wrong. To you. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of hoping that uh, uh, Mbaku was going to get like a big moment in the final binary. He really didn't. They kind of put it more on. Uh, Okay, and, and her fight with the lieutenant. Which, which okay, that, that, that was another thing. I, 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 I liked Atuma and Okoye having, uh, having a rivalry. Because during their first fight, Atuma kicks Okoye's ass. Like, kicks it hard, right? And then, and then her arc is kind of getting ready to fight again to give him, give him a good fight. Um, my understanding is she just kicked him off the boat. Like... <laughs> Like she didn't really get a win. She just kicked him off the, well, I guess that's a win, but I, I, I like, like they're building up to it and it's such a quick moment where she just kicks him off or pushes him or blasts him off the boat where I was like, I was like, but you were building up to this. Like give us, and I'm thinking it's probably because it's like, do you want a three hour long movie then Al? Because <laughs> to do that, you're going to get a three hour long movie. And I'm like, uh, but I, uh, something something you said D earlier, which I totally agree with. I think I think the the main the last battle between Wakanda and uh, Talokan on the sh- Wakandan ship, it's not great um, because they're all just kind of on on the top deck of a ship trying not to fall over, and all these Talokans are just climbing up on the ship. Like this is where I was like, okay, Ryan Coogler needed to talk to Gore Verbinski and be like, how do you do battle scenes on a ship? Because it's harder than it looks. Um, and Gore Verbinski directed Pirates of the Caribbean, the first three, for those who are wondering mm-hmm. who I'm referencing. Um, but ultimately, and I have a lot of problems, but the big one was, was that I, I liked the rivalry subplot between the two and Okoye. I just wished, like, we got the, we got the, the one-on-one fight scene that I think the movie was promising and then just kind of was like, actually, we don't have time for this. I, I, I'm glad they didn't add it because I wouldn't like a three-hour-long movie. But I'm also like, you could have cut other stuff to give us that because you're building up to it. I, I, am I crazy? Do either of you guys agree with me or, or am I just crazy? Yeah, I agree. No. That's what I was, that's what I was uh, pretty much saying was I felt that the final battle between the Wakandans and the Talokans could have been done better than it was. The, the the battle that happens in the middle of the movie where the where the Talokans just fuck Wakanda up, I thought was really well done. That felt more like the final battle, honestly. Like you could have flipped it. Yeah, yeah, because it makes more sense like you attack a Wakandan ship and then the big battle is invading Wakanda. Yeah. And instead they do it the other way, which I'm like, 
Like, because I get it. They're like, well, we need we need Wakandans to kind of invade Talokan, but they can't because Talokan's underwater. Yeah. But it's like it's like, uh, but doing it on a ship, it's just not as climactic. Anyway, anyway. Um. So sorry, sorry, D. Any, any anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, I think that's that's it for. Uh... All right, see, mm. you're up. So. Wait, what is the specific question you were asking? Oh, just or so just your, your thoughts on, on the Talokan element, the Talokan slash Namor oh, element of sure. the film. Sure. So, the second most important thing on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> After Julia Louise Dreyfus. Um, oh, God. I'm kidding. No, I love Julia Louise Dreyfus. She's from my hometown. Um, anyways, so I think the aesthetic is quite good of the Talokans. Um, I think I liked their blue skin, actually, because it wasn't just blue. It was almost like you could see that it was a biological thing. It wasn't that they literally had different colored skin. It was something in their biology that was doing it to them. Like they were once human, so to speak. Um, it, I'll put it this way. The blue was more than skin deep. That's the best way I can say it. <laughs> Funny. It, but like kind of true too. It like looked like, like if they, if they got slashed open, you'd see like blue blood suddenly. You're like, Oh, okay. But so I liked their look. I actually really liked the best example of them were. So obviously when they invade that offshore, drilling site basically you saw their full powerful effect but i liked their little like ways i i you i liked the things they had in order to fight basically i liked their water masks that helped them breathe i liked the fact that they used they, their technology wasn't really futuristic it was just really well designed so to speak um, because you, it, it's kind of interesting. While they are very advanced, clearly, the difference is both, yes, got advanced through the power of vibranium that they gained. But the, the, the this group, the Teclons, they really stayed in their ways because they're not just hidden in another part of the world or in another part of Africa. They're literally underneath all of it. They are, they are away from all of it. They have no connection to the outside world. So when you don't have that, you really aren't going to change nearly as much. So I really did appreciate that, that look to it. I do agree that their city didn't look like much because we didn't see much of it. But what we saw was nice. And I also really liked the, the private quarters of of Namor, like his, the murals he designed and the, the time he spent in those caves. Like that's where we got the aesthetic a lot as well. If I'm not mistaken, that's basically his home away from home when he wants it to is, kind yeah. of be a surface dweller, but he's like in a cave. Yes, pretty much. I, I thought that was, I thought that was a good little subtle moment where you're like, Oh, he wants to have like, he says he hates the surface world, but he's like, he's like, ah, oh, but you know, I, I kind of want to be in the surface every once in he a while. He has a relationship to it still. Yeah. He has, he has some sort of a relationship to it in some way. And based on the town that they visit in order to find the, the Teclans, he has a bit more of a relationship with surface dwellers, but who knows? Um, but overall, I really liked their aesthetic and their look. 
I thought they were interesting. I liked the Mayan influence on them. I think it was actually a very creative way to create Atlantans. And while, yes, it would have been nice to see the Marvel's interpretation of Atlantis, I think because we got that in Aquaman, you might as well go for something different. Because otherwise it's going to be like automatically compared to Aquaman being better or being worse. So you might as well just go completely you know, go with your own flow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they really, they really did. Um, so yeah, overall, I liked the aesthetic. I liked their look and I think it really worked. I do th agree that you have some logistical issues when it comes to like the Wakandans invading because it's like, well, they can't. So it's almost better that they're defending their city, which is why that battle was better because Unless you have a whole sequence where they figure out how to go underwater, or at least they their plan is to like send something out the underwater that's going to cause some sort of great damage, you really can't have a full like army go down there. That's just not something that's going to work. But overall, I liked it. I think how do I put this? The aesthetic definitely worked, but we just didn't, oddly enough, even though we got a lot of a lot of different things in this movie, maybe because they were just figuring out how to spread things out, we didn't get a lot of the Teclon world, so to speak. Like, of all the things we didn't get. Okay, so you guys have both talked a lot about kind of Talokan and the, and the general so, and you pretty much I pretty much agree with both of you and I've, I've added my own in, uh, input on that my own commentary yeah. now the one thing I will say and I, you guys can disagree with me if, if you do so I do think Tanok Huerta did a great job as Namor I, I really liked his different take on it the one thing I will say the, the one big problem I had with him the only problem I had with him really uh, well outside of like his mythology doesn't really make sense to me because I know a little bit about the mythology in question um his his motivation like for hating the surface world i feel like is very weak um so we get his origin story uh essentially uh right after the spanish came and invaded what would become yucatan mexico uh basically the his mother and her tribe are basically basically being decimated by by the disease that the spanish uh invaders uh, conquistadors brought with them and you know her the priest finds finds a vibranium plant underwater he crushes it and he makes everyone in the tribe take it right but uh his mom his mom is like oh i don't know i don't know if i want to do this and they basically tell her hey you're pregnant so he's going to be the first kid born in the water so he's going to be our king and that's what convinces her to take it right mm -hmm. and you know he's born the powers that she has now is in him along with the mutation he has, which is that he has wings on his feet. Um, but the other, his, uh, the other element of his mutation is that he ages really, really slowly, like slow, like, like he's like, he looks, he looks like he's an 11 year old when his mom is like in her eighties and dies. Mm -hmm. And she wants to be buried in the surface. She does not want to be buried underwater. She wants to be buried in the surface next to her husband, right? Where, Cause he died of smallpox. So Namor comes up to the surface world and it's, you know, years later, the, the Spanish have built an hacienda, basically a ranch, a plantation, and they have a, 
they basically have uh, 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 Meso they basically have former uh, uh, Mayan people as essentially kind of like their slave labor and Namor sees this and goes and I've hated surface dwellers ever since and my problem is is that like okay you 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 saw like it's not really personal for you you came up to bury your mom and as you were burying her you saw this admittedly horrible thing and from there you just hit it all surface dwellers it, it, it felt really flimsy to me that again like i said this felt three quarters big because i'm like like it's not personal for him the 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 people enslaved in 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 general are not his are not his people right all his people left for underwater so these aren't people he has any kinship to or wouldn't feel a kinship to um, he just sees people doing something admittedly shitty and it's like four people and he's like, okay, now I hate the surface. I, that was my biggest complaint in terms of, uh, in terms of the Talokan thing is that in general that I don't buy why Talokan hates the surface world. I, I really feel like there would have been a stronger reason, at, at least make it personal for him. Like have his mom die because a Spanish person killed her or something. It's just. It felt really flimsy to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? D, if, if you have anything to add, if you disagree or agree, you start first. Yeah, I would uh, disagree that they could have uh, expanded more on his, his motivations. I do feel like his, uh, his primary goal was to protect his people, but the way he goes about that, his, his logic seems kind of flawed and it's like, Oh, I have to, to kill this girl who invented this technology that that uh, could harm my people, and it just uh, it just like it it seems kind of like a lot of steps were taken that aren't very logical in their their final conclusion. Yeah, because okay, so a, a big element in the movie for people who are listening is that Riri Williams, because they, they, and this is actually something I really like about her. Is that, you know, she's a genius, but he's not, like, an unbelievable, like, sci-fi genius like Shuri was in the first movie and in Infinity War. But she's a genius, and she's able to create a device that detects vibranium. She's the first one to create it. <laughs> and because because she created it in college, the government takes the schematics and makes their own or, or makes the makes their 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 own type of type of device or a bigger device if i'm not mistaken and mm -hmm. um and they find vibranium underwater and they run into uh talocan and talocan's really pissed that, that that happened right so so he's like i want to kill the girl who invented this the problem is you're like well it's already been invented the government already owns it as a property like even if you kill her they just make another one right and that then it made no sense to me. And when it's like, okay, he's just using that as an excuse to declare war on the surface world or to declare war on Wakanda because they won't help them. I'm like, okay, what did Wakanda do to you? Why is going to war with them going to help you in fighting the surface world who you hate? And then he's kind of like, the motivations were murky. I really feel like this movie was pitched as Wakanda versus Atlantis, what would eventually become Telecan. When, when, when Ryan Coogler first first pitched the idea right after the first Black Panther. But they couldn't find a reason that was like, okay, why would they want to fight? And it's like, well, they're fighting over this girl. But it's like, it makes no sense why they would go after this girl. It contextually, it makes no To me, it makes no sense. I don't know. So I think here's the thing. 
I think we've seen certain aspects of this part of the movie done better in other movies. So as far as why they hate the surface world, I got a little, and, and not to compare the traumas, to be clear, but I got a little bit of a Magneto vibe, so to, so to speak, where he saw humans doing something objectively horrible and decided he hated all humans because of it, or he no longer identified with humans because of it. Now, the difference is, with Magneto's origin there, it's significantly more personal. Significantly. Because he was a victim of said evil, and yes. his parents died of said evil. Said evil, yes. But that does not apply to Namor at all. And I agree. I agree. So I think it's like they, they, you, they started in an interesting place, but it didn't quite work. Now, with as far as... Why he wants to kill the girl, 110%, you know, I agree. At this point, the government has the patent. Um, and what could have helped that, not saved it, but helped it, would have been just one little offshoot line of saying, either way, they'll just make another one, or what has been, uh, what has been done cannot be undone, so to speak. Something like that. And the thing to, is... To, like, point that shit out. Yeah, and the thing is, is that... Namor is hard-headed and stubborn. That's that's been his character since he was created. They could have done this thing where they're like, they could be telling him like that's stupid because the U.S. has the patent already. They'll just make another one. He's like, well, I still just want to kill her, and you you can't stop me. That that's totally in character for Namor. Yeah. Right. And the other factor is as far as why invade Wakanda, it could genuinely, you could have made a plot about how, yes, we have a good amount of vibranium under you know under our city but you guys wakanda have even more and we if we're gonna take over we need more so you're not gonna ally with us fine we're gonna take it from you that could have been something yeah but instead it's just like no i'm invading you because i'm mad and that admittedly as great of a scene as that was it it doesn't quite work. What could have even helped is when, if there's a scene where Namor is talking with like his generals or his council, and they don't agree with him, and he's like, "Well, I'm doing it anyway," or something like that. Like that could have like then you could have been like, "Oh, he's just gonna go headstrong into what he wants to do because he's just this way," and that would have helped. So I think they had building blocks for something good, but then I think for whatever reason they just decided to go with a more, you know. They decided to leave chunks out or not explain or just leave it a little more basic when thinking, oh, the audience doesn't need that. When, in fact, we needed that a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, listen, I wish this was a movie exclusively about grief. It's not. Um, they have to have a conflict. So It's the like a fourth. It's a third about grief. Yeah, but you need a conflict. And I just really feel like the conflict ultimately made like like you're like. The movie wants these two civilizations to fight. Fine, great, cool. But you know, don't don't let it be something as silly as I just want to kill this particular person and then have it be that killing that particular person literally would not change anything, right? Because because now you're just now now you're just kind of making it seem like like okay, like cuz here's the thing, the movie doesn't even acknowledge it. They just go like, "Yeah, no, killing her would help them." Like the movie makes you, seems to run on that logic. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You should know this. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was kind of my big, big problem with Namor. Um, but Tenno Warta played him great. Like, I'm, I'm. What, what do you guys think he'll he'll appear in? Because 
my understanding is because Universal owns the distribution rights to any Namor movie, Marvel will not make a movie about Namor. But mm-hmm. he'll probably pop up in other things. What 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 movie do you think that guys think he would pop up eventually in? I couldn't even begin to guess if I'm being honest. But um, he, I think they'll include him in any more ensemble based movies. Like they'll want to like use that as like as an opportunity for anything. So whenever you have like more than one superhero or supervillain, they can like use him or even just the their world. So to speak. Mm. What about you, D? Yeah, I uh, I agree with pretty much. You know, they they ended the movie on kind of uh, the whole point of uh, Wakanda's like, oh, we'll protect your secret, but other people don't have to know, and you guys can go back under the water and not bother us anymore. And so they kind of made it to where if Namor doesn't show up, there's a reason for it. He doesn't he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And so he, they can potentially use him whenever they need to, which could be never if it comes down to it. They might bring him back, since you mentioned he's a Fantastic Four villain, they might bring him back when they do that. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but but then, you know, Doctor Doom is like the main Fantastic Four villain. So. Oh, I agree. So I think if they bring... No, I think Namor's done being a villain, honestly. He might be like an antagonistic kind of character, but I think he's done being a, a, a total villain. You know what's really funny is that... Um, I just thought about this. 20, 2022 was the year the MCU introduced finally introduced the Illuminati, right? But yeah. without most of... The Illuminati? <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny. They introduced the Illuminati... And they only introduced one original member of the Illuminati, but they also introduced another original member of the Illuminati in a separate movie where another original member of the Illuminati will never be there because, unfortunately, the actor passed on. So Mm. I was like, oh, they introduced the Illuminati and Namor, but not in the same movie and not in the the way that they would be a thing, which I was a little disappointed because I think having a secret cabal of, like, super powered beings like pulling strings would be really cool but you know like let's see of the original six i think two are dead in the universe well another hasn't been introduced but anyway so um uh let let me think where where was i going with this (laughs) um i don't know al oh Yes. Um, okay, so those were all my thoughts on Namor. Now, the other big element of the film who we've been talking about, Riri Williams. Uh, Dee, what were your thoughts? Uh, so, yeah, I liked her her character. You know, she was... Um, I felt she was, you know, pretty funny. She was kind of like a comic relief character. And uh, just the lines that she was given. Uh, you know, she... Uh, Built her own Iron Man armor, uh, pretty much out of spare parts. And like I said previously, I, I liked her like kind of handmade version better than the final suits she gets from Wakanda. And so I'm glad that uh, then the movie they kind of take that suit back, saying you can't have this. And so I'm hoping when we see her in the Ironheart show, it'll be more of her handmade version. Just the. Uh, I won't say I'm excited for her show, but I will watch it and see how, you know, what they do of her character and how she kind of plays into the overall MCU. I think I liked her 
when they knew what to do with her, which was for, I think, three for the first two acts. They knew she's the inciting incident and she's, well, sort of the inciting incident. And she's also a bit of the comic relief, but she's also a little bit more of reality put back into the movie in a way. Um, but then later on, it's kind of like, oh, we're just sort of protecting you and you're here and we're going to give you a cool shitty CGI suit as well. When in fact, as we've all agreed, the first version that was kind of like put together that she had been working on was really a cool design. Like that was really cool. Did you guys notice in that set piece, they did a callback to the first Iron Man? Yeah, and I thought that was awesome. It, and you know what's funny? That's not the first time he's done callbacks like that in other franchises. The the thing I the thing I really appreciated that that and it, it's it's a moment to be able to build character too because, uh, so for those of you who don't remember, during the first test flight of the Iron Man suit in the first Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark cannot calculate what what what's the uh, what's the um, um, what's the what's the word for it the. Uh, the height? No, that's not the word. The the, oh my gosh, how do you calculate how high something is in the sky? You're the, asking the wrong people. The altitude. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Listen, so, I don't know how planes work, so I didn't know that. Yeah, C does not know how planes work. We'll so, tell that another day. We already did. <laughs> oh right, Jurassic yeah. World. Yeah, so yeah, so, there, so there's wing foils, no. there's <laughs> foils, and it creates a pressure difference. So there's more uh, pressure, and it creates a vacuum on one side, which kind of sucks the plane into the air. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So that's how that's how a plane could fly without like any fuel. Stop. <laughs> okay. What, what, guys, guys, but like, what are these things called? Kites. Shut up. <laughs> um, uh, so, so in the first Iron Man, Tony Stark during his test flight cannot calculate the correct altitude before like his suit freezes over and he falls into the ground, right? And in this, in in the in Wakanda Forever, Riri, Riri Williams is so smart that she's able to calculate her her maximum altitude, like in her head, right? It's such a clever callback just to show you how smart this girl is. And I, I, I alluded, I talked about it before in the podcast, but listen, I'll, I'll admit it. Shuri was not my favorite character in the first, uh, in the first uh, Black Panther. In fact, she was my least favorite character in the first Black Panther movie. And uh, I, because the problem was, is that you had this 19 year old girl who basically wasn't just a regular genius, but was like a sci-fi, like, like almost alien tech genius. It was to the point where you're like, okay, I can buy you being the smartest person in the world. I can't buy you being so smart. You you basically know how to do nano robotic technology on the fly. Like, yeah, like that was a like, little much. Like it was really bad in the first Black Panther and in the and in Infinity War, where she is so smart, she knows how to uh, how to uh, work on Vision who is literally a living android, right? Who even he doesn't know how he works. And you're like, wait, what? So, right? Yeah, so I will add that one of the things I didn't like was when they, uh, after they introduce uh, Riri, they go to like her, her workshop and she's like, oh, it's not much. And it's like these giant monitors and like 100K of equipment. <laughs> it's like a yeah. Yeah, that... it's really nice car and just like, oh, it's just, 
whatever. <laughs> no, that 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 was uh, that that to me is like just the thing about Hollywood is that like they can't seem to make like kind of real world workspaces. They always do these like weirdly high tech and because obvious- the brand deals. Yeah, yeah, because of the brand deals. You're totally right. I'm not. I'm. All, I was kind of joking, but I'm not. It's yeah. Like- um. But what I liked about this is that so Shuri is like so super smart that she, she would fit like in a guardians of the galaxy movie and she would know how all the tech works. And honestly, in a movie set on earth, that's just, it's really hard to believe, to be grounded in that. It's just so sci- science fictiony. And Riri Williams is like, no, she's the smartest girl in her engineering department. Right. But she's not so smart that she can invent a new metal on the fly. Like Shiri can. And I really appreciated that, that they're like, yes, she is smarter than Tony Stark, but she's not like a living god in the way Shuri was treated in her first two appearances. And what I love about what they do with Shuri here is that, yes, yeah, she's still the smartest girl in Wakanda. She's still the smartest person in Wakanda. But they don't be like, oh, she's literally able to, like, invent, I don't know, uh, uh, she's not able to invent, like, uh, something that totally douses ex machina as the whole movie, right? And mm-hmm. I appreciate it. That they seem to take that to heart to be like, yes, yeah, Shuri's smart, but we're not. We're we're literally turning her into a Deus Ex Machina machine. So let's let's just mm-hmm. turn around. I, I literally said Machina twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Um. So yeah. Uh. Anything else? Any? You guys have anything else to add about Riri? I I I don't. I thought her the, I thought the performance was great. It actually, kind of it it brought a bit of fresh air to the. Okay, I'll say this. Of all the, no, it it brought some fresh air to like the type of movie this was becoming, where it was about grief and it was very solemn. That being and said, she came in and she was a very normal presence, which was good. Like I liked her, but I would say she was totally unnecessary in the movie. Like you could cut everything about her out and just make it a, be about a MacGuffin, and you would still have the same main conflict. Well, sure, but that's like at the end of the day, what made this movie good, as we've discussed. At, ad nauseum now was the grief so anything beyond that could have been cut out but out of all the things that could have been cut out she was the best part the best thing that could have been cut out do you have anything else you'd like to add d anything else you'd like to add uh no i don't guess so uh well then, do we want to give our? Is there anything else we'd like to bring up before we give our final review? Okay. So, to me, the most weakest, most the weakest. I'm sorry, my grammar's so bad. The weakest thing in the film, by far for me, was the subplot involving Agent Ross and uh, Valentina Lafontaine, which is obviously there just to set up uh, Thunderbolts. That stuff could have been gone. It it's weak. It looks like Martin Freeman is. It looked like they just had a weekend with Martin Freeman and they're like, okay, we're going to shoot you jogging. We're going to shoot you in some cars. And then we're going to have you have a scene with, uh, with Julia Louise Dreyfus in two different locations and they or three different locations. And then you're going to have a scene with uh, Danai Guria who plays Okoye and uh, Letitia Wright who plays Shuri. And that's it. And I'm like, he's in this movie so little. Why is he in this movie at all? What, what do you guys think? I agree. So, sorry, I, I, I just agree with that. I think it was that whole sequence. Anytime they cut to it, it's like, oh, it, this is a nice intermission. It just it wasn't necessary. 
you would you could have cut out those whole parts and you would have been like no nah, missed nothing yeah i i agree too it's just uh kind of feel like he was only there because he was in the first one <laughs> yeah that's actually a good way to put it yeah he he it's you know what there was a moment where it's like even martin freeman doesn't know why he's here yeah he, he's like no when, okay. when you have a subplot where where almost the entire scenes takes place like in a separate location from the main action it's like then why is it here it, it helps nothing it, it, it doesn't add to anything um and, and this is an ultimate problem i have with marvel or marvel studios is that uh, any if they have a chance they want to add something in there that'll be a thread for a f- future movie in another part of the the narrative right oh, yeah. uh, in some elements this is pretty interesting like i would say the threads loki sets down that's going to lead into uh quantum media and uh, the kang war I think that's interesting. I mean, it works. And I love Jonathan Majors as an actor, and I think he's going to be a great uh, King of the Conqueror. Um, in other elements, like, oh, for God's sakes, um, like, like, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the movie. Good Lord. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, uh, Multiverse of Madness, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're setting up this whole new uh, Doctor Strange adventure, right, with the eye thing. I'm like, finish the first movie first before you start adding elements that are going to lead into the second movie. Cause, or, or finish this movie before you add elements that are finishing into a later movie. And and then with Love and Thunder, right? They had to have these threads about, okay, what are the Guardians of the Galaxy going to do? Because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, guys, the trailer just dropped. Yes, it did as of a few hours ago. Like, stuff like that, I'm like, it weakens the movie. And in this... They just want to be like, okay, this is Valentina LaFontaine, and she's going to build the, the Thunderbolts. And I guess uh, Agent Ross is going to help her. And I'm like, why Why are we here? Why are we here? This doesn't. Let's go back to Wakanda. We People are paying to be in Wakanda, not to be in a bumfuck northern Virginia near Langley. Or, Which, or, by the by the way, we, we I have a friend who's from Virginia and was so mad. It's like, come on, just shoot in Virginia because it wasn't at all. No, it, it was shot. I, I think it was shot in Georgia. Yeah, like I think it's a Marvel movie, of course. Yeah, it was shot in Georgia. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I thought that was even the, the scenes part. in Africa were shot in Georgia. Yeah. Um. But they did shoot. Uh, they did shoot quite a bit in in Boston. Like that is Boston, and I appreciate that because because see, you and I saw another movie that takes place in Boston, and we're like, that's not Boston. <laughs> what yeah. is that? That's a that we saw that movie, and we're like, that's Europe. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, weakest part of the film didn't really enjoy it. So now let's get into final thoughts. D, your final. So uh, so D, first off, do you know how our rating system works? He's a fan, of course he does. I just want verbal confirmation. Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay, great. Um, Good. Cool. So give us your final thoughts and then give us your rating. On our system. I would say that it's uh. It's a movie. I would say it's a movie with underwater Mayansi people <laughs> that that fuck, but underwater. It's it definitely has uh, its its strengths. It also has its its weaknesses and. Overall, I would say it's it's a movie. 
It's an adorable movie. But it's a movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, C, what about you? I've got to agree with D on this. This was a movie. It was a long, well-directed, sorry, very well-directed movie that I think at the end of the day, it was an, of a net benefit to see this movie the way it was made. I think it was the best, it was one of the better versions of it that we could have gotten. But it was just, it, it, it was, it, as I said, it was a director's cut when it didn't need to be just too long. We, we just didn't need as much as we get were given. Um, I think if this was, this had potential to be a flush if you trim out like 30 minutes and you don't even have to change the plot. If you just trim out 30 minutes worth it could have made it to a flush because then you've compressed it down to like the best moments uh, or the better moments that really work. Um, but yeah, I give this a movie. Oh, and uh, should you see this in theaters? If you're a Marvel fan, then yes, see this in theaters. Definitely. In that sense, it's it. I would say um, any Marvel movies, always going to be better in theaters. And that's my rating. You know, I think this is the first time we've had three straight uh, same reviews. Oh, no, no, no. We we are or, or, or middling reviews, I would say. Yeah. Three um, movies in a row. Yeah. So this to me is also a movie. And this is I, I'm, I'm going to be a little specific. This is a flush movie. This is a flush filled. No, this is a a film that fucks about grief inside of a bloated marvel movie so it's a movie um when this movie is at its highs the it is higher than anything you would find in the first black panther i think ryan coogler wanted to tell wanted to tell a story processing his grief the cast's grief the world's grief over losing chadwick boseman and i think he does an admirable job i think that element of the film shows me that his strengths as a director are not diminished by being in the Marvel machine. That being said, the the world building element, like like the 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 everything, the only thing that doesn't involve the 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 dealing with grief is the Talokan element. Namor is a character, Atuma and Namora as his lieutenants, the aesthetic of Talokan, all that stuff. Uh, I think I think he cared about it. I think he wanted to represent a culture. Because here's the thing. He's not, as far as I know, nothing about Ryan Coogler says that he is he is from a culture that is descended from Mesoamerica. Uh, so he had this, he, he probably had this weight on his shoulders. Like, if I'm going to do this, I at least got to show that it's not just plain window dressing. And I think he succeeds for the most part. Most of my problems with Namor and the the Talokan civilization is just his his um, his motivation just seems very flimsy, and we don't get a lot of the world. We just we're just shown one city from a bird's eye view, and I think I think if you really want us to care about these people and care about them being hidden from the world, you, you gotta you, we gotta get to know them and to see why they need to be hidden from the rest of the world. Um, but that stuff that stuff that that stuff is good. You know, it's not fully developed, but it's good. Everything else is not good. 
it's just it's just eating time that the movie doesn't have you know like listen we're all all three of us are probably going to watch avatar hopefully together maybe not maybe we'll watch it in our own time and you know what i already know my first complaint is like that movie should not have been three hours and ten minutes long it's three hours and ten minutes long people um this movie didn't does not have the luxury of being like we need you for two hours and 40 minutes but it's it still makes us go through that and if it's going to make us go through that it should be with stuff that we want our eyeballs on at all times and it doesn't do that every time martin freeman as agent ross came up my eyes glazed over Mm -hmm. every time um every time we were dealing with like these geopolitical uh this geopolitical drama between Wakanda and the rest of the countries, my eyes glazed over because I knew it was like, this isn't the main thing of the movie and the movie kind of deals with it and then just drops it off halfway through. It stops caring. Um, it's just so bloated. And it's like, it's like, I'm like, it doesn't have to be. There's one element there. That's really, really fucking good. Really good. I want my eyes on that. I want to listen to that. I want to see that. I want to experience that and everything else. I'm like, why are we bothering? Like, listen, Riri Williams was a fun character. She didn't need to be in here. She didn't. She really didn't. She's she's just there to be a MacGuffin and to show us that she's not going to be an annoying character. Thank God she's not an annoying character, but still, she didn't need to be there. Um, this, there is an amazing hour and 45 minute movie in this bloated mess, right? Um, that being said, you know, Ryan Coogler has obviously learned good lessons in blockbuster filmmaking. Um, while the, the ship element of the third act is very CGI heavy and kind of an eyesore, the beach battle between Black Panther and Namor is actually quite well done. The, the context, the context to it is, is silly, but it's really well done. It's really well done. Like, like, oh, the fight scene in Boston. See, you mentioned this is really fucking well done. Like Ryan Coogler has known how to make blockbuster filmmaking with his own style. And I really appreciate that. But I, I hope it, I don't know if he's going to return for black Panther three. I hope that he does. Cause you know, I feel like one vision for an entire trilogy is a, is an underrated thing. Um, but I really hope he puts his foot down. And is like, guys, all this stuff you want to add, cause you need plot threats for other new things. It's taking away from the movie. I don't think he had that clout this time around um, because, you know, it's still the Marvel machine and they don't seem to really give you respect until you have like a little golden statue next to your resume. Um, and even then. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, this to me is uh, is a movie, a bloated movie, but there was a Fox movie in there somewhere. We just unfortunately didn't get to see it. You know what I hope they do? Well, because at the end of the day, you have a director who fucks making this. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I do? I don't know if you guys would agree with me. I hope a fan takes this and like, you know how Topher Grace re-edited uh, uh, Phantom Menace? Yeah. And you know how a lot of like Lord of the Rings fans re-edited the three Hobbit movies into one movie? Yes. I hope someone does that with this and just gives us a very streamlined version I, of the best version this movie could be. I'm a little uncomfortable with that only because, you know, of the grieving moments. So as long as this version cuts out quite literally none of those moments, if that were to happen, then yes, I think it's acceptable to do that. That's mm -hmm. my only, that's my only caveat that I feel that needs to be said. What about you, D? Do you think I'm crazy? 
Yeah, I agree. This definitely could have been a, a, a shorter, more condensed, tighter film that probably would have uh, hit the highs better and had less of the lows. Let me let me ask you this, guys. Like outside of the outside of the usual suspects in costume and visual effects, do you think this gets nominated for an Oscar like the first one did? I do. I actually I think it does. I think I think it gets I think it gets nominated for costumes and production design. It might get a special effects nomination, I'm not sure. Um I think it's going to get a best picture nomination based on everything that's happened and the fact that it is genuinely a better movie. I think than the first well sorry when its highs are higher and its lows are lower as as I we all seem to agree um so I think there is a chance that it's also going to be nominated for best picture um Ryan Coogler as a director deserves to be an Oscar nominated director I don't know if he gets it for this nomination wise I, I just can't full heartedly go there but I do think this is going to be nominated for Best Picture, I th- especially since the first one was. I think one of the things that the first Black Panther does better is the music. I feel like the music for this one, the best part about it are, feel like, reused parts from the first Black Panther. Like, nothing was kind of made for this movie that feels like it was better. 110%. We didn't like I didn't even mention the music because honestly I totally forgot about it as an element the, in the film. Yeah, the music in the first movie is like some of the best music in the MCU, quite literally. It's like or I or I put it this way. It's it's that and the okay. The music from Black Panther, the music choices from Gardens of the Galaxy and the and the the song the 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 intro music they use for the Avengers. That's the most iconic stuff throughout Marvel, honestly. You know, the it's funny. I don't know if I talked to you about it too, but I definitely talked about it to D was so the end credit song in the first Black Panther is um uh what's it called? By uh by uh oh god, I'm blanking on his name. Um he's from Compton. Um he did King Kunta. Kendrick Ken, uh, Kendrick Lamar, yeah. So the, the that Kendrick Lamar song, uh, "All of the Stars," oh, is a, a banger. Song. Man, I love that song. That that's that's the, that's my. I think that's my only Kendrick Lamar song on my Spotify playlist. I love that song. It's really good. When Rihanna released her song for the end credits of this movie, yeah, I remember telling that. I remember telling D, I was like, "This is not memorable at all." Like I I listened to it once and didn't care to listen to it again. And I I, 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 I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, uh, Kendrick Lamar really made an like he made a whole album inspired by what he saw in Black Panther. And I, I think Rihanna and by extension, most of the music, they're like there wasn't that not that they didn't have passion, but it just wasn't at that crazy level that Kendrick Lamar had it. I, I was really pumped he didn't come back to, to do another music album for this, but, you know. That them's you, the cards that don't. Oh, you were sad to hear that. Yeah, I was sad. Okay, yeah. I think. Well, the other thing I think Rihanna and Kendrick Lamar are two very different types of artists in the sense that Kendrick Lamar really buries himself in 
the world of the work he's doing regardless if you're a fan of his or not you can look at his music videos his music and everything else he spends a lot of time very focused on the meaning of certain things and just the context of it all and he really engages with certain aspects of certain culture i'm not saying rihanna doesn't do that but rihanna has this ability to turn that like, Rihanna will either delve deep into a certain type of world with her music, or she'll just go pretty commercial with it. And with this, even though it is a sadder song, of course, I felt she went more commercial with it. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. It's I'm not hating on Rihanna, but it's not a memorable song. No, it's not. I mean, at least not to the level of all the stars. Not only was that on the radio all the time, but it oh my like God. the music video was really good for it. I don't know if you guys ever saw it. It is a good music video. Yeah. So uh, any any anything else you guys want to add before we sign off? D, uh, anything else you want to say? Yeah, so are we going to discuss the after credit scene? Uh, <laughs> here, here's the thing, is that it's, it's nothing mind-blowing, but it's also setting up something later on. So, yeah, for those who don't want to know about it, the... That we've given our rating and everything, but we will. I guess we can dedicate like a couple minutes to the end sure. of the credit. So, um, the the movie ends with uh, the movie ends with Shuri visiting uh, Nakia Lupita Nyong'o's character in Haiti to do this ceremony of burning your clothes as a way to finally move on from your grief, and she does it. And and the the end credits play over as the the clothes the clothes are burning in that fire. So. The, the the end credits end and we're introduced to the to the mid credit scene there there's no end credit scene to the movie by the way just a mid credits so there you go and uh, Nakia comes out with a little boy and Shuri's like who's this kid and Nakia tells him it, he's my son uh, and uh, his western name is Desmond but Desmond tell him your uh, tell him your Wakandan name and Desmond goes like my Wakanda name is T'Challa, like my dad. So essentially, we find out that Nakia had a son with T'Challa, who's like he looked like he was what five, six years old. Uh, and, Very young. Uh, yeah. So basically, it's setting up that like yes, there's going to be a T'Challa, Black Panther later on down the road. You know, much except, later on. Except it's going to be his son, not the T'Challa from the comics. Um. I didn't mind the scene. My understanding was, or at least Ryan Kogler in his interviews had said that that was always going to be a mid credit scene for this movie, even when Chadwick Boseman was alive. But it was going to be like adding this new element that he now has a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously it's now been recontextualized into this is my heir apparent, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't mind the scene. It was really interesting. Like the scene, so most mid credit scenes are like 30 seconds long. This scene ran for at least five minutes. Like it, like well, it was a full-on scene. Like everything else in this movie, it was longer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was. It's like, okay. No, it, yeah, it was longer. It's like, all right. So, okay, here's my thing on that. I, I, I understand completely 100% why they did it. I had a feeling that's what they were going to do. I was like, they, they, need, they, need the, they need a reason to keep Black Panther going eventually. Um, so I think what this is now going to be 
it, it just opens the door, which Marvel always does that. Marvel always holds the door open in some way. So this this was bound to happen. And I do know... Okay, actually, I don't know. Guys, comic-wise, does he have a son? He has it with Storm, right? No, no, he doesn't have any children with Storm. Okay, they were married for a while, right? They were married for a while, and then literally Storm leaves him over... Was it over Civil War? I think. I think mm. she leaves him over Civil War, and she immediately hooks up with Wolverine. Oh, damn. Okay. So Black Panther does not have uh, good good feelings towards uh, Logan, let's just say. But well, uh, as far as I can tell... A, does he have a kid? Oh, wait, wait. He does have a kid with Storm, but I think it's like in the Ultimate Universe. Okay. Am I, D, am I right? Uh, I'm I'm not sh- sure the part I've gotten to Ultimate Universe. There there's not um, the Black Panther in the Ultimate Universe is kind of uh, like a silent character, so I feel kind of weird for him to have a a son. Yeah. So, uh, D, you have any thoughts on the mid credit scene? Uh, yeah, I thought that uh, you know, I I kind of also saw it coming that they were the introduce the uh this is who the next real black panther will be yeah it, it's kind of i guess like a bold move by by the mcu to be like oh yeah in 20 years we'll have another black panther unless they do another like five ten year time jump i'm almost certain that's what they're going to do i think what they're gonna do is they're gonna wait okay so this phase is now over right it ended with wakanda forever is that correct yes Yes. Okay, so here's what I think they're going to do. The next phase, we're not going to get a single word about him. But then the phase after that, we're going to get the new Black Panther. They're going to allow, they're going to say a whole phase has passed. Therefore, this child is now an adult. I have a very good feeling. I'll bet money that that's what they're going to do. Dude, I'll, I'll bet you one further. Yeah. I bet something happens during Kang Wars. Oh, he's an adult now? Yeah, because Kang's going to fuck with time travel and he's going to uh. be an adult now. Like I'm already I'm already putting money that it's probably gonna be um uh the 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 guy who was Jeff Goldblum's like connection in uh in uh, Jurassic World Three. Oh you're right. Well Yeah, in Dominion. I'm like maybe, it's gonna be him. Yeah. I, I I'm putting money it's gonna be him. I don't know. D did you see uh, Jurassic World Dominion? Not by choice. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. He's also going to be the voice of the water character in the new Pixar movie about like a water guy and a fire girl falling in love. Elemental. Elemental, yeah. So I think it's going to be him. But that that's me. What about you, D? How do you think they're going to do this? Are they going to play the waiting game or are they going to do time travel bullshit? You know, I I think it'll be uh somewhere in between. I, I think they will give it a little bit more time. And I think eventually they'll be like, okay, it's been long enough. We need... uh you know, another Black Panther to to kind of fill this this void. I just I just really rolled my eyes that they were like, he also happens to share his dad's name. Hmm. Where it's like, oh, so they can still be like it's T'Challa, the Black Panther. And I'm like, okay, it, no, but it's his son. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Marvel, yeah, it's his son. We get it. The, oh, such a roundabout way to do a recast. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to add about the about the the mid credit scene? Uh, I'm. I don't have much else to say other than I think 
I, I admittedly saw it coming. I just didn't think it was going to be the end credit scene. I thought it was going to be like revealed in some other way. How about you, D? Uh, I don't have anything else to, to add. All right, cool. So that's been the end of our review for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. D, thank you so much to join us for this time. The first of many, I hope. Um, yeah, no, uh, like I said earlier, like, I think C said it best. If you're a Marvel fan, then yeah, go watch it in theaters. If you're a Black Panther fan, sure, go watch it in theaters. But uh, other than that, save yourself the the pain of waiting almost three hours to go to the bathroom. Uh, if Especially if you're like not into Marvel anymore, which seems to be a lot of people these days, which could be a, pod, a podcast episode in and of itself, which we would well, like to have you we're do, seeing, join us for that. We're seeing a changing of the guard, I believe. Yeah, we we'll are. See. We really are. So... Uh, thank you again, D, for joining us. And uh, this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. See ya. And I'm D. <laughs> Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever.